This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 395, The Gazala Gallop. It might have been June 21st, 1942 on the calendar, but for Rommel, it was Christmas. Having taken Tobruk so easily, with the vast majority of his command still intact, he readied to make for the Egyptian border. The good news was that the still intact supplies from the port city would allow him to fill up his tanks and move out. The bad news was that he could only go to the wired fences of the enemy and not beyond them without the permission of Mussolini. That had been the agreement when he and his were given priority over Operation Hercules, the occupation of Malta. Well, that question was now brought to the fore. What would he, Rommel, be allowed to do? And knowing Rommel as we do now... What would he actually do? His orders be damned. Anticipating that his aggressiveness was still robust, CNC South Albert Kesselring himself flew to North Africa to work things out with Rommel on June 21st. As it was windy and the sand was stinging, Rommel and Kesselring talked in Rommel's command vehicle, and Staff Officer von Millethen was there to take notes. Rommel started off by saying he must be allowed to press on, even though Malta was still in enemy hands. It was militarily prudent to do so. However, Kesselring countered with, there is no way Africa Corps could go deep into Egypt without the full support of Kesselring's Luftwaffe. And if Kesselring agreed to this, then Malta would be given time to recover. There were only so many planes and pilots. And if Malta recovered, then Rommel would be back to square one. That being, his supplies would once again be in jeopardy. No, Kesselring summed up, let's stick with the plan. You have taken Tobruk, now let's back off here and take Malta. Then, and only then, will the resources be available to push into Egypt and to take the Suez, which would hurt the British in getting supplies and men to the Pacific. Their entire defensive posture would start to unravel. But the Desert Fox pushed back hard, as hard as he pushed his men and himself. He countered with, yes, Africa Corps had suffered during the Battle of Gazala, but the British and their allies were in far worse shape. This was a rare opportunity to push onto Suez. Now, damn Malta, it could fall later. 
for the access to have control of Egypt and the Suez opened up so many other opportunities. Further, even giving General Ritchie and the CNC Auchinleck a week might make it impossible to move forward later. No, now was the time to act. It will come as no surprise that Kesselring and Rommel, both strong-willed men, refused to see eye to eye. But the CNC South had an ace up his sleeve. As he departed the vehicle, he told Rommel that he intended to pull his air units, returning them to Sicily, and he was not going to wait very long to do so. The two men parted. And now it was time for politics and ego to enter the picture. Never a good thing. As Rommel's stock had never been higher in Germany, he appealed directly to Hitler to be allowed to advance into Egypt. Very quickly, Hitler said yes, though he was advised not to by his German Navy and the Italian general staff, neither of which impressed Hitler all that much. As for Il Duce, he also agreed with Hitler, for he could not see anything other than marching into Cairo triumphant, having lost his Ethiopian Empire, which was to have been the beginning of a new Roman Empire. And just like that, though with hindsight, Malta was spared. North Africa would eventually be lost to the Axis due to resources, or a lack of them, because, again, of Malta. On June 21st, the same day of this intense discussion, Rommel told his men, Now for the complete destruction of the enemy. We will not rest until we have shattered the last remnants of the British Eighth Army. During the days to come, I shall call on you for one more great effort to bring us to this final goal. Whereas on the other side of the chessboard, Ritchie and Auchinleck were trying to recover from what had just happened. In a matter of 24 hours, they went from, let's build up a strike force to relieve Tobruk, to, we suddenly find ourselves with not enough time to build up a force that can withstand Rommel's next attack. For no one doubted that he would come, and soon. Even worse for the defenders, now that Tobruk was in Axis hands, no massive investment force had to stay behind. No, Rommel could bear down on the frontier force with the majority of what he had. Would the frontier line fall as quickly as Tobruk? What would happen then? Which is when General William Gott of 13th Corps convinced Ritchie, and it was prudent to do so, that they should fall back to Mursa Matru, another 100 miles or 161 kilometers to the east. If they did this, then 120 miles or 193 kilometers would be now between them and Tobruk, and that space was a waterless nothingness. Let Rommel deal with the logistics of that while he and his were harassed by the Desert Air Force. That was their best chance, said Gott. That would give them the time to build up their forces yet again. Ritchie went along with God's idea, and the 8th Army commander explained this to Auchinleck when he flew up on June 22nd. But personally, and one cannot blame him, Auchinleck felt that distance didn't matter all that much to Rommel, who could probably pierce an enemy army at Mursa Matru just as easily as one at the Egyptian border. But he had to acknowledge that the extra space, though Churchill would hate this, 
would give them time, which served the defenders much better than the attacker. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. With the decision made, the CNC got to work. First, he had Lieutenant General William Holmes' 10th Corps from Syria head for Matru to prepare for its defense, along with Freiburg's New Zealand Division and Lieutenant Colonel Harold Briggs' 5th Indian Division. During this, Gott's 13th Corps would hold the Egyptian frontier line as long as possible, and he would have the help of the 1st South African, 7th Armored, 50th Northumbrian, and 10th Indian Divisions. But thinking bigger, when this sizable force did pull back, the CNC would have the South Africans retreat even further, to El Alamein, currently being worked on by General Norrie's 30th Corps. But everyone else mentioned would head for Matru, for there they would defend Egypt. This was a prudent move, considering what the Africa Corps had recently accomplished. But knowing the 8th Army was heading the wrong way, when Auchinleck got back to Cairo, he messaged the Chief of Imperial General Staff, Alan Brooke, and offered his resignation. Quote, The unfavorable course of the recent battle in Cyrenaica, culminating in the disastrous fall of Tobruk, impels me to ask you seriously to consider the advisability of retaining me in my command. For this theater is essential, and a change is quite probably desirable on this count alone. It occurred to me that you might want to use General Harold Alexander, who had suffered his own defeats in Burma, when he is due here in a day or two. Meanwhile, Gott had to deal with Rommel along the frontier as Rommel came his way. The Desert Fox stationed his Italian infantry divisions along the line of Solemn, itself just above the Halfaya Pass and Sidi Ormar, just inside the Egyptian border. This defensive position is about 50 miles or 80 kilometers east of Tobruk, where the coastline dips down, going from left to right, and Solemn is in the corner. Going southwest from Solemn is Sidi Omar, thus Rommel, had his own defensive line, should 8th Army somehow make it this far. Meanwhile, Rommel was on the move, with his Africa Corps, 90th Light Division, and the Italian Mobile Corps 
which was recently reinforced with the new Littorio Armored Division. Much like the Battle of the Gazala Line, Rommel had the bulk of his armored forces move around the southern end of Gott's frontier force near Fort Magdalena, about 50 miles or 80 kilometers south of Sodom. Africa Corps had returned to Egyptian territory. As Gott was in no position to fight it out, and was not expected to, and the enemy stayed to his south, Gott had all petrol, water, and ammunition that could not be carried, destroyed before he pulled back. This, though, bothered Rommel little, as he had the supplies of Tobruk, and so his men drove on all that night of June 23rd, and the next day. Gott followed along, but to the north, thus no major engagements took place. Only on the evening of June 24th did Rommel have some of his panzers turn north, reaching the coast road, but well east of city Barani, about 45 miles or 72 kilometers east of Sodom, but still some 40 miles or 64 kilometers short of Mersa Matru. But this is Rommel we are talking about. Though his force had turned north, one, to cut the coast road, and two, to take a breather, he had a reconnaissance force continue on. This representing Axis force traveled 100 miles in 24 hours, all told. By the evening of June 25th, this smaller force made contact with the enemy at Mursa Matru. So much for Gotts and Ritchie's plan of thinking space would give them time. Still, as 8th Army arrived and then Gott's force at Matru, they were given various locations to head to, to set up a layered defense. But Brigadier Howard Kippenberger of the 5th Brigade of the 2nd New Zealand Division noted that, though the men did not look demoralized, he did not see a single formed fighting unit, infantry, armor, or artillery. Well, that had better change, and quick, for soon Rommel and his Africa Corps would catch up to his reconnaissance force, and then all hell would break loose anew. Relief for the 8th Army, now forming up for the next battle, came in the form of the RAF. Now that it was closer to its base airfields, and the Luftwaffe were even further away and now smaller, as Kesselring was recalling some of his units, the Desert Air Force harassed the arriving German and Italian troops, whose diaries were replete with frustration at the British airmen and equal frustration with their own lackluster Luftwaffe pilots. But to better understand the coming battle of Mersa Matru, a mental map is needed. But also, please see episode cover photo. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The defenses around Mercer Matru were not top level even when Egypt had been directly threatened in 1940 and in 41. In truth, the defenses of Matru had not been maintained since November 1940. That was to be rectified, but 
the enemy was already on their doorstep. Like the Gazala Line and Tobruk, the defenders had extensive minefields to the west and south of Matru, but not to the east, which makes sense, unless everything fell apart and another line of defense was needed. Below Mursa Matru and its perimeter were two escarpments called Northern and Southern for simplicity. The Northern Escarpment was about 7 miles or 11 kilometers below the coastline while the southern escarpment was another 8 miles or 12 kilometers to the south. Wisely, in between the two escarpments was not one, but two lines of mines on the western end of the gap. The more western line of mines touched the Siwa track, which runs to the northeast, while the second line was just behind or to the east of the first, which would give the invaders a nasty shock should they make it through the first line. When Rommel caught up to his reconnaissance force, already in the Matru area, he was given a situation report. General William Holmes' 10th Corps was lined up between the coast and the northern escarpment, again a distance of some seven miles, and he had the help of the 10th Indian Division, which had three brigades, so it was at full strength. They were situated around the Matru perimeter itself, while the 50th Division, with only two brigades, was at Jerala, along the coast, and behind Matru. But the way the coastline was, the 50th, was to the southeast of the port city. When Gaunt's 13th Corps arrived at Matru, it passed through the defensive line and was set up in between the escarpments, but a little further back to be ready to move in any direction but mostly to the south, should Rommel try another flanking movement. But as his 5th Indian Division only had one Indian brigade, the 29th, Gott put them on the center part of the southern escarpment to keep an eye out. Gott also had two small columns on patrol near the minefields, designated Glycol and Leathercoal, between the escarpments. They were not expected to give battle alone, but to be a slowing force should the Germans come this way. Still, putting the minefields aside, this represented a weak center, a cardinal sin in terms of defense. To the right of center of the southern escarpment, there was a small break, i.e. a weakness or a pass to go through. So Gott had Lieutenant General Bernard Freiburg's New Zealanders of two brigades put there at a place called Minkar Kain. Gott also made sure that Freiburg had enough trucks to move all of his men quickly, should they be needed to deal with any emergencies that arose. At first, the New Zealanders were to have been within the Matru perimeter, but Freiburg point-blank refused this, probably thinking, my men are not going to become prisoners like those in Tobruk. Just as Rommel was showing up with Africa Corps proper, the 1st Armored Division, namely the 4th and 22nd Armored Brigade Groups, some 160 tanks, were just arriving in the area. They were told to keep moving east, just below the southern escarpment, and to make for a position behind the main line, but ahead of the 2nd New Zealand Division. Making sure that no panzers took advantage of the 1st Armour moving through this area, the 7th Motor and 3rd Indian Motor Brigades, closer to the main defensive line, covered their movement, simply because Rommel was capable of anything. 
As for the headquarters of 7th Armored Division, it had already withdrawn back to El Alamein, as the CNC insisted on a defensive position even further back. And in this, he cannot be blamed. As reconnaissance told Rommel that Ritchie's center was weak, ignoring the minefields in between the escarpments, his panzers would rush in on either side of the southern escarpment. The 90th Light, Littorio, and 21st Panzer Divisions would head in between the north and south escarpment, while the 15th Panzer Division went underneath the southern rise to keep those considerable enemy armored units there pinned down. The net effect of so many panzers south of Matru would force Ritchie to focus to the south and move his tanks there. With that done, the 90th Light Division, the northernmost armored unit, would cut across the northern escarpment once it was past Matru and head north to make for the coastal road and cut off any retreat attempt. But the main reason was that once those panzers were east of Matru, they would then turn west and race towards the port city, as there were no minefields to impede their speed. Still, in the face of the Desert Fox, who would surely come, and soon, Ritchie was firm in his belief that this time he and his would hold. Simply, they had to. This was the fight for Egypt, the canal, and the entire Middle East. Eighth Army would be victorious at Mersa Matru, or they would be dead at Mersa Matru. And yet, Auchinleck was not happy with much of what was going on, so he talked it over with Air Marshal Tedder, who agreed that this was not the way to go, and Ritchie was not the man of the hour. Both men looked each other in the eye and nodded. Ritchie had to go. But who would replace him? Why, Auchinleck himself, as his head was on the line as well. On June 25th, when Rommel had arrived at the front proper, that evening the C&C flew in from Cairo and relieved General Ritchie. When Churchill was told of this, he was relieved in a different way and happy, saying he should have done this when I asked him to in May. But as for the defenders' dispositions, what was done was done, and could not be undone. There was no time for it. Still, Auchinleck made what changes he could. Were they the right ones? No one knew, and would not know, until the Panthers came. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. Um, I have not done this in a while, so I'm just going to thank some members and thank some people who have donated. Uh, I, I don't have everybody since the last time, but I'll do half of it now and half of it later um, just to hurry up and get this out. Um, first of all, as far as the new members who get two extra episodes a month, uh, let's see, there's Douglas Mogul, who's from Palm City, Florida, Michael Crawley from Alexandria, New South Wales, Australia, Kyle Moyles from Melbourne, Florida, Corey Davies from Millgrove, Victoria, Australia, Jake Meller from Brooklyn, New York. I, I can't do a Brooklyn accent. If I could, I would, but I can't, Jake. Sorry. Uh, Ethan Eddy from Alexandria, Virginia. Hey, Ethan, local boy, uh, neighbor. Uh, let's see here. Matthew Mitchell from Lexington, Kentucky. Very beautiful there. Wayne Jackson from Ride, New South Wales, Australia. 
And then um, someone from Professional School Photography in Tuscarora, Pennsylvania. Hope I didn't butcher that. Thank you very much. Um, Let's see, Adam Elman from Minnetonka, Minnesota. So those are the latest members. And again, I'll get the other ones uh, next time. As for those who have made donations uh, recently and have made my Christmas shopping a little easier, along with my whiskey collection, uh, let's see, there's Adam Parkinson from Manchester, UK. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Bill Lucas, who donated on behalf of Tony and Ryan from the Warrior Next Door podcast. And honestly, since I had to put up with Tony, yeah, I deserve it. Just joking. Uh, Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, There is Roy at Burnham Enterprises. Thank you, Roy. Uh, I didn't have your last name. I apologize. Uh, There's Samuel Visner. Thank you very much. Riley Fry, again from Australia. Thank you very much. Brandon Hilton. Richard Eaves from Weybridge, UK, and I know I've said this before and it got shot down, but I'm trying very hard next June to visit London and surrounding areas. So fingers crossed, I'm trying to get to uh, to London next year. And last but not least, Richard Fonyi, if I'm saying that right, Fonyi. Um, so thank you, Richard. I will uh, get to the rest of you later. I just didn't want to have a too much too long of a list. Uh, only one episode this time. Uh, I hope that's okay. But we will get to the Battle of Mercimatrue next week. That no, that won't have a that won't have an interview attached to it. But the following one will a, another twofer. But anyway, so thank you for everyone who listens, who supports the show. It means the world to me. And we will be back as soon as we can with the next episode. Take care, everyone.